Good morning, everyone. Uh, long time no see. Uh, good to be back. I'd like to give a warm welcome to any visitors we have this morning and for those listening uh, on the internet or by telephone, uh, welcome to our morning service. Uh, not very many intimations this morning. Uh, next Sunday, though, we'll have the holiday club in the creche here at our meeting. And uh, we just hope that as we have gathered together, just relax in God's presence. is an eternity of love. Lord, in your presence is an eternity of joy and peace and rest. And so, Lord, it's our prayers this morning. Let thy kingdom come. And so this morning, we do desire to enter into your heavenly gates and the eternal courts of your presence with such thanksgiving and praise. For Lord, we rejoice in your goodness 
And yes, we marvel at your steadfast love, which endures forever and ever and ever. And so, Lord, we delight, especially this morning, in your faithfulness, for great is thy faithfulness. Lord, we acknowledge you as the only true and living God, the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity. Yet, Lord, you're the one who gave your only begotten Son, who created us, who lived, died, and rose for us, who ascended on high. And now, Lord Jesus, we rejoice this morning because you now pray for us. Lord, when we feel that we have no words to pray, you pray. And Lord, you pray for us. And Lord, how deeply you love each one of us. You know what we go through. You know our cares. You know our worries. You know our anxious thoughts from afar. Before even the words form in our lips, Lord, you already know our hearts. And Lord, we thank you this morning, not just for your prayers for us, but we thank you for the Holy Spirit who fills us, who transforms us more and more into the likeness of Jesus. And so, Holy Spirit, we welcome you this morning. Oh, would you fill us to overflowing. And as we pray, Oh, would you inhabit the praises of your people? And Lord, inhabit the prayers of your people. And Lord, I ask now that you would fill this sanctuary. Oh, with the peace of Christ that goes beyond our understanding. Lord, inspire us, challenge us, change us. Lord, have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. For you are the potter. We are merely the clay. But Lord, we thank you that you are making something so glorious. And so, Lord, may you receive all the glory this morning. And may Jesus be glorified above all things in our worship, in our songs, in our praise, in our lives, in our homes. And so, Lord, we bring our prayers this morning with such thanksgiving. And Lord, as we unite our hearts in prayer, we thank you for the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, which we now, Lord, pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, this morning we're taking our Bible reading. We're continuing in our series looking at the glory of God. And so we're going to read in Exodus chapter 34. And there in verse 29, 
When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. Afterwards, all the Israelites came near him and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. Amen. And may the Lord bless us the reading of his precious word. Well, we're going to return to our reading there in Exodus chapter 34. And over the last week, for those who weren't here with us last week, uh, you can catch up on YouTube if you want to follow the series, but we've been looking at the glory of God. And there we saw the life of Moses and the Israelites as they're now on the brink of entering into the promised land. And here's Moses, who has a heart after God. And no wonder he must have been heartbroken, knowing that he wasn't going to be entering into the promised land with his people. But you know what Paul said? Paul said to die is gain, though. And for Moses, he was going now to be he was going to be with the Lord. He was going up in glory. But I'm sure his heart must have sank too. But notice the prayers of Moses as they're about to enter into the promised land. He, he prepares his people through his prayers. And he's been pleading with the Lord, Lord, please, I know we've rebelled. Remember when Moses went up into Mount Sinai there? And as he was with the Lord, he told the people, now wait, wait. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. But did they wait? No. We're told as Moses was up in the mountain top with the Lord, that Aaron and the people of Israel, they couldn't wait. And we're told that they eventually began to worship and they created this golden calf and oh, you would think it was the most lively church service you had ever been to. Maybe you would have been with Aaron and Israel and you would have thought, boy, I'm coming back to this church. They've got some life here. And you can picture them, can't you? Dancing and singing and praising. And... But yet, the Spirit was not there. God was not in their worship. Moses, there he is on his own. Oh, he knew the presence of God. The church down below knew nothing of the presence of God. We're told that they began to worship their own idols, a God in their own image. They worshipped the God the way they thought they could worship. Oh, just the way they felt. We can, do it. We can worship God in any way we like. And here, here they are. 
They had created a, 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 a God in their own image. And yet, here's Moses now up on the mountaintop. And he has known a, such an encounter with the reality of God, who God really is, the one and the true God. Moses is there enjoying the presence of God. His face is just shining. In the presence of God, you can tell the difference. And notice when Moses prays, when he comes back down, he said, Lord, please, may your presence go with us. Why? Why is the presence of God so important to Moses? Because without the presence of God, there's no difference between anyone. Notice the difference between Moses and Aaron and the people of God. Moses shone. There was a touch of the glory of God about the life of Moses when he knew the presence of God. A heart that knows nothing of the presence of God will just go through the motions. And you can tell the difference. And that's why Moses said, Lord, your presence has to go with us. Because how will the world know the difference? How will they know that we're your people? Now, when you hear that prayer, you know, hang on. Moses, you know something here. The presence of God makes all the difference. And as I've said here often, you know, we can have the most outgoing church, we can have the biggest choir, we can have a church packed to overflowing, but see if we don't have the presence of God, if we don't know the presence of God, the world will just look on, unaffected. But oh, see, when a church longs to know the presence of God more deeply, and I pray that that's your prayer, I hope it's not just, Lord, I'm going off to church on Sunday, bless me. See you later. I hope you've got a heart that is like Moses, who seeks to know more and more of that presence of God in his life. He wants to go deeper in a relationship with God. That's the heart of Moses. Then, when you look at Moses, look at then the rest of the Old Testament. And you will see men and women come to the fore who were after the presence of God. To know God and to make him known. We can't make the Lord known to this world unless we know him. The world can see through people who just point the finger saying, oh, you're awful sinners. You're doomed. But see, when a heart knows the Lord, you know he's full of compassion. He's full of love. He has a desire to see hearts come in repentance to him. The Lord wants to see men, women and children come to him. So often the church can be seen as those who just point the finger. You're not good enough. You're not holy enough. You haven't done the right things. Before I go right off the point, <laughs> here's Moses. After the Lord promises, I will go with you. Don't worry, Moses, I'll go with the people. And then we shared last Sunday how 
Moses wasn't even content with that. He wasn't content knowing that in the future God's going to bless his people, that God will be with them, he'll walk with them. His Shekinah glory will follow them through the wilderness. Moses wasn't content with that. He wasn't content them going into the promised land and hearing all about what God would do, that God would bless them. No, Moses prays on that mountaintop and he says, Lord, I know you care for the people. I know that you want to show goodness to the people. I know that you will be with them. And Lord, I know you want to bless. But Lord, show me. Show me. Show me your glory. And then we're told that the Lord allowed Moses. He permitted Moses to see a glimpse of his glory. He saw a glimpse of the weighty presence of goodness. He experienced God's love, his long-suffering, his patience, his glory came. And Moses experienced it. And this is where I want to say, yes, we live by faith, not by feelings. And yes, we can make much of feelings. When we should maybe be focusing on, no, we, we live by faith. That's when you live without even feeling it. Well, I believe the Puritans had it right. They believed that it wasn't an either or. You don't live by faith or you live by feelings. The Puritans believed there in the 17th century, they, they believed that it's important that we live by faith. But living by faith will involve an experience of that faith. Our faith should be experiential. True faith ought to be felt in the deepest part of your being. And so, so they were always great advocates for what they called a felt Christ. They believed in preaching Christ or oh, to come to know him. To believe in him. To trust him. To lean your whole weight upon Christ. But they also believed in a felt Christ. That as you lean on him, that you would know life in his name. Remember what John wrote in his gospel? My desire in writing this gospel is that you would believe that Jesus is the son of God. That you would believe that he's the Messiah, he's the one, he's the coming one that you're to put your trust in. Now John said, that's the reason I write this gospel. I want you to believe, I want you to trust, I want you to lean on him. But John goes on to say, but not just to believe on him. The reason I write this gospel is also that you would know life in his name. Yes, Oh, to believe, to put our trust in Christ, but also to experience life in his name. Jesus said, I came in order to give you life and life in all its fullness. Now let's go back to Moses. As Moses experiences the presence of God, he comes back down the mountain 
And now he's got the tablets in his hand. And this time he doesn't break them. In fact, he actually wrote them himself. The Lord caused Moses to write them by hand. And these were the tablets that were to be placed in the Ark of the Covenant. The hands that broke these tablets were now the hands that the Lord used to bring the word of God to the people. And as Moses comes back down, we're told his face just shone. It was a reflection of the glory of the sovereign God. He had been in the presence of God. And we're told that was the reason his face shone. Because he had been in communion with God. He had spent time with the Lord. And as he was there with the Lord, he was there interceding for his people. The faithfulness of Moses there in prayer. As he prayed, the glory of God just shone more brightly. Now the word here in the Hebrew for shone, it means it's, it's brilliant rays came from him. It's not just that he had a wee glow about him. <laughs> That's not what the passage means. We're told that there was bright light. It was like streaming light was flowing from him. And therefore they were in fear. And they asked that he would cover his face with a veil. That brilliance of light. In fact, the Latin Vulgate, the translation, when they were translating this word for shone, they, they took another word which means horn or horns. And if you ever look at medieval pictures of Moses, you'll notice he's got horns. <laughs> and I believe that's because it's a mistranslation. The passage means brilliance of light just shone. It was like light just coming out from him. And so here's Moses shining for the Lord. Why? Because he had been with the Lord. He spent time with the Lord. And you know, I often ask the question, Lord, why didn't Moses notice <laughs> Why? Surely he must have felt something. The, all this light that just shone from him. Why was it he, he was totally unaware of it? And I know there's many reasons that we could say, but you know, I just wonder if the reason that Moses wasn't so conscious of the light that was emanating from him, I just wonder if it was because he was caught up with the Lord. His focus was not on himself. Look at the life of Moses and look at his prayers actually running up to this very passage. His heart is on God. He's looking full in the face of God. And he's interceding for his people. Moses isn't focusing on himself one bit. He's not even conscious of himself. He's so conscious of the Lord. He's just caught up in the glory. And when he's caught up in the glory, he has a deeper care for the people. He, he's got a deeper burden. Why? Because he's been with the Lord. It's as if Moses has been given the heart of God. Moses, this is what I care about. I love this people. I love them with a 
compassion. And this very people are going to touch the world. It's not that I favor Israel above every nation of the world. No, they are my people because they are going to be a channel, a vessel to touch the world for Christ. They are going to bring glory to me. Nations will stream in through them. Remember the promise given to Noah? We're told that Shem is going to be blessed. Israel will be blessed. Your, your, your son Shem, oh, he'll be a blessing. Israel will be blessed through him. But then we're told a blessing will also come to Japheth. Now Japheth went on to form the Gentile nations, which we're a part of. And God promised Noah that Japheth would also be blessed. And we're told in that promise in Genesis chapter 9 that he will be persuaded to come into the tents of shame. I, I think that's a beautiful picture. That one day, God, he will bless shame. Yes, the Jewish people. God has, has chosen Israel, but they will be a blessing to the nations of the world. And the Gentile nations will be persuaded to come and dwell in shame. That doesn't mean that you'll, you'll go and live in Jerusalem or in Israel. No, but we enter into the promises, the tents of shame. We enter in as well to the promises. God's promises is not just to Israel. It's to us here today. What a wonderful promise. God's heart is for this world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so here's Moses in the presence of God and he's got the burden of God upon his heart. Here he is. His heart, his face. I think that to him captures it well. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in light of his glory and grace. I think that was Moses' experience that day. He had turned his eyes upon Jesus and he looked full in his wonderful face. Oh, to see the glory, to experience God's presence in that way. And so now he comes down and we're told that he pulled up his sleeves and he got on with the work. He got on laboring for the Lord. And now he has such a burden for the people. Oh, what does all this mean? Here's, we're coming to the end here of chapter 34. It's like the climax of all that's been happening before. And I love how the Apostle Paul picks up and explains it to us. And when Paul explains this passage... He reminds us that, remember when Moses went up? Do you remember that glory that just filled his heart and his face? That glory that Moses experienced, Paul tells us, it was a reflected glory. It was borrowed. The glory didn't come from Moses himself. It was reflected onto him. 
In one sense, you could say that Moses was like the moon looking at the sun. And that reflection from the sun, that was Moses. He was just not as, not as glorious, the light. But it was what he was looking at. And we're told, and I love that verse, where Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the express image, the brightness of the glory of God. Paul tells us that Moses' glory, it was temporary. It was fading. Moses was reflecting the glory of another. It wasn't his glory. That's why I believe that Moses was quite unaware of this glory that shone from him. Because he was just reflecting it. The glory came from somewhere else. And notice, as Moses reflected the glory of God, he also reflected the person of God. Look at Moses' personality. Look at his life. He is so like Jesus, isn't he? As he intercedes for his people, as he is someone of of such humility, made himself of no reputation, but he comes down. Here's Moses. As he experiences the glory, that reflected glory, Jesus in all his brightness, he said to Philip, don't you know me? When you see me, you see the Father. As we ask the question again, Okay, Lord. <laughs> so Moses, what he experienced was a borrowed glory. It was reflected. But notice also that that glory that came upon Moses, it kept people at a distance. Did you catch that? When the glory was reflected upon Moses, here he comes down the mountain and the people wanted to keep at a distance. That glory came, the glory of God came, but to the people it was like judgment. It was a reminder of the consequences of their sins. They knew their future. As they saw the glory of God, oh, their hearts just broke. They were so conscious of their own sinfulness. They were so conscious that they were a stiff-necked people. That's what the glory did. As the glory, that reflected glory came upon that mountaintop with the people of God, they couldn't bear it. They knew they had sinned and fallen short of, the, of God's glory. That glory reminded them that yes, they were a stiff-necked people. And so they begged Moses, oh, cover your face. We don't want to be reminded of God's judgment. The glory of Moses kept people at a distance. Isn't that funny? The glory of God upon the face of Moses caused people to be afraid. We're told that when Moses spoke, people had to look away. But can I ask you, not to look into the face of Moses. 
Moses here wants us not to look unto him. In the book of Exodus, what's it all about? It's about one who is coming. Moses is pointing to another, a greater prophet, priest, and king who is coming. Moses isn't asking everyone, look unto me and learn some lessons about me and try and put them into your own life habits. And you know, many people can treat the Bible like that. We look at Abraham, we look at Moses, and we say, oh, what lessons can we learn from these characters? And then we'll try and be like them. Well, Moses would want to say, don't be anything like me. <laughs> don't, be anything, don't look into my face. Don't look into my character. Don't look into my personality. Don't try and glean any lessons from me. I'm sure you will anyway. Because, of course, the scriptures were written that we would learn from them, yes. But look at the heart of Moses. That glory, don't peer at me. That's just, when you look at me, you're only getting a glimpse of the real thing. There's a greater glory to experience. There's a greater radiance that you can experience. One that is not fading away. One that is not temporary, but one that is eternal. Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. And notice... Jesus there on the Mount of Transfiguration. Do you remember when the glow, when the when you, the disciples saw his glory in all his fullness? Do you know what what, what happened? Then when, when they saw his glory, what did Peter say? I want to stay here forever. He wasn't afraid. The disciples weren't afraid saying, oh Lord, cover your face. We have to go back down the mountain. We can't bear to be with you. No, the glory of Christ drew them. Peter just said, oh please, can I be with you? I want to stay with you all my life. I want to spend my life on this mountaintop. Let me build a tabernacle. Let me build a tent here and I can live here and bask in this glory. Isn't that lovely? The glory of Christ is so different to the glory of Moses. Moses never asked us to look at that glory that was on him. He was just reflecting a greater glory. We're told that when Jesus speaks, publicans and sinners are drawn. When Moses spoke, they turned away. When Jesus speaks, they come to him. When Jesus is high and lifted up, he will draw all men to him. He will draw men, women, and children when he is high and lifted up. Oh, to see his glory. When you see his glory, that should draw you. When you experience that presence, that should draw you. Whether you've sinned, even, as a, even when we know we've fallen short, when you experience the presence of God, oh, you just delight there because you know he forgives, he cares, he loves. Oh, I can enter into that place. And so here's the glory of Moses. Yes, people kept at a distance. But when we look at the glory of Christ this morning, he draws us to himself. And as I mentioned, the, Moses, the glory of Moses was just temporary. 
It was fading. The more he was away from the Lord, the duller that glow. But with Jesus, his glory is eternal. Eternal. The Lord asks us, when we come to experience his glory here, in our day, in our own time, we're told, until he comes, be my witnesses. Be witnesses to my glory. In other words, reflect my glory. Reflect Christ's likeness. Reflect Christ's humility. Reflect the glory of God to your family, your neighbors, your friends. Reflect the goodness of God. Reflect the mercy of God. The world should be able to know that God is merciful because you're merciful. The world should know that God is good because they know that goodness of God through us. We're to reflect the life of Christ. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And so in a practical way this morning, can I encourage us all? Yes, behold his glory. Oh, come in. Oh, be drawn today. Run into the arms of Christ. Yes, behold his goodness, his mercy, his love. Behold his glory. But from this place, will you go from here? And will you reflect that glory? Will you let the life of Christ shine through you? Like brilliance, radiant light just shining through you. That people wouldn't see you, but that they'll see Christ in you. And the only way the world is going to see Christ in you is when you come to him. When you spend time with him and when you behold him. And so can we do that this morning? And so I'm going to invite Helen's going to lead us in our intercessory prayers. So let's bow our hearts as we pray together. Heavenly Father, as we come to your throne of grace through our Lord Jesus, we say with the hymn writer, you are awesome in this place, mighty God. You are awesome in this place, Abba Father. You are worthy of our praise. To you our lives we raise. You are awesome in this place, mighty God. We thank you for your word received this morning. May we be inspired to seek you with all our hearts and to spend time in deep communion with you. Like Moses, may we say, show us your glory. May we then reflect that glory in the way we live our lives. As we draw closer to you, let people see Jesus in us and be encouraged to turn to you for themselves. We pray for everyone here today and may we all know your love and peace. We also hold before you, especially those in hospital or recovering at home. May they know your comfort and strength and a touch from your healing hand. 
We also remember those who have been recently bereaved. May they know your comfort in their loneliness and help us as members of the body to reach out in support and encouragement. Father, our world is in desperate need of you. So many are homeless, hungry or hurting. We say, come Lord Jesus, pour out your spirit. Lord, fill this land with your glory. Give us, your people, hearts of compassion for those who don't know you. And let us be of help where we can to people in need. And Father, we commit once again to you the future of the High Kirk. For logical and spiritual reasons, we wish to see its doors remain open. And we ask for direction in how we approach this issue. We want to, the people who make the decisions to see things our way, but we acknowledge that you are in control. And we say, your will be done. Thank you for the tithes and offerings given today. And we pray that they will be used to advance your kingdom. And oh Lord, make us a praying people. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. As we ask all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.
And so may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the fellowship, comfort and the power of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Thank you.